For most of humanity, there's been a system of government where a small minority rules over the people. From emperors to monarchs to oligarchs, the will of the people, the desire for self-determination has been repressed. A group of visionaries envisioned a nation ruled by its citizens, one where leaders were chosen by its people to be held accountable. Hence, the United States of America was born. That dream of democracy has been defiled. We find today, our nation is run by a minority not held accountable to its people. Instead, special interests and money are the driving forces of our government. At Candidates Platform, we look to restore that vision. Our goal is twofold: to educate voters on the issues of the candidates running for local and state office, and to give the citizen the opportunity. To run for office by having a simple, intuitive, cost-effective place to manage their campaign. Let's work together to restore democracy to the people. Hello, everybody. I was so taken by our intro. I was just caught up in all the, you know, how it gets me so kind of riled up and dramatic, you know. <laughs> Excuse us. I, I was thinking that, you know, we've had a lot of storms in Arizona, and um, so I was thinking maybe something had had hit, um, hit, and we couldn't speak. But anyway, we're live here. So Diego, how yeah. are you? I, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Sorry about that. Actually, um, yeah, we've definitely been having some weird. Uh, weird storming connectivity issues but i hope everyone's doing a great uh, having a great day um this is the cp show i hope everyone's having a fantastic saturday night uh we've definitely had a crazy week in the political world and we have a lot to talk about um we have a great show for you guys tonight we have a very special guest coming in a longtime friend of mine and actually the person who got me into politics in college uh, my very good friend zoe but um first uh let's kind of just run run through the week you know we've um it's definitely been kind of a divisive hot button issue week i would say <laughs> yeah i did you get a chance to check out the town hall meeting that they I, had with um president biden i did i did that was um definitely <sighs> definitely um a kind of a aggressive uh he was definitely pushing back a little bit which is interesting because he's always he's definitely kind of try to take a softer approach so watching him kind of push back a little bit was I was definitely expected for me personally. I was not expecting him to go that route. So. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what I I, I felt about it. Um, he seemed a little bit more agitated, definitely. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. I kind of think along with Ronald Reagan, there were times that I couldn't follow what they were saying, and maybe it is because they're older. I'm not sure that. Maybe in your late seventies is the the best age to be running as president. I think it's it's by person by person because I mean you know, uh, my you know I I think there are very competent you know eighty year olds, seventy year olds, eighty year olds, and very incompetent you know fifty year olds. And so I really do. I, I'm I'm one of those people. I don't really believe in age limitations because I I do think that you know if you are and you know. There's a lot to say about Biden. I personally don't think he's senile or anything. Um, oh, I, there's something going on with him. You don't think? Well, he has, he has a stutter. I think he has a stutter, and I think that sometimes can get misconstrued. And um, I think he's got a lot of Botox because nothing moves from the mouth up. <laughs> I, you know, being older. I mean, being older, I, I definitely 
think, my gosh, you know, I'm not too far off from being in my 70s. But I definitely think when you hit your 80s, there are just things, unless you are, you know, an exception. I think most of us, as you hit your mid-80s, definitely need to maybe step back. And, yeah, I think. Yeah. And let, you know, the younger generation uh, move forward. And I think this that kind of plays into kind of the conversations we're going to be having tonight about millennials and the Gen X and or Gen Z, right? Is that the... Uh, Gen I Z get, is I was the most gonna... recent one, yeah. Okay. Um, so it was just interesting to me. I, I had a hard time understanding what he was saying and where he was going with things. And I felt him to be a little bit more agitated than usually. I mean, I, he felt, I don't know, you say aggressive or pushing back in that. To me, it just seemed like he was very agitated. So I don't know. I, yeah, I, don't think, I it... think he was trying to take a more of a, you know, um, I think he's he's his whole thing. I mean, his whole thing was he was trying to go back to the Obama era of politics, you know, the kind of the pre-Trump era of politics. And I think he started to realize that, you know, for better or worse, whatever side you are, like that era is gone. We're kind of moving to a new way of doing politics. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, you if you told me if you said five years ago, you'd have, you know, um, Ted Cruz and and, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Charles Chuck Schumer kind of tw- going on Twitter and, you know, insulting each other. <laughs> um, it was, uh, you know, I think you would have been looked at a little strange, but that's just kind of the way it's kind of shifted. And um, actually, one of the big things I want to talk about with uh, kind of our guest is that, you know, she, like I said, she got me into politics um, in college. I was in it before, but I definitely kind of fallen back a little bit. And my freshman year, she uh, was the one that, uh, kind of brought me into it and she's someone who has taken a step back over the last four years uh four to five years and is someone who has kind of not not been involved at all really and so it's definitely interesting i kind of want to see that approach just because of how i remember how different it was back then to how it is now and i think you know that's the thing that i think biden realized you have you can't really do that because no one really believes in the kind of like you know gentlemanly disagreement you know it's it's not really that that's not what it is anymore i think it's a lot more personal to people and and and, and that's a shame because it's really difficult to move forward or get anything done when you when you uh, can't have when when you take it so personally it becomes a you know i mean the whole thing about politics when it works well is when you can debate and still you know be able to agree and now all it is is disagreement you you can't agree to disagree mm-hmm. don't you think um yeah i mean i think that's the different thing that's the nuances i think the trying to cancel and, and stop people from disagreeing is the problem i also don't think though that the kind of very um polished and, and not genuine way we did things before where people kind of just you know said their little talking points and gave you know little vague platitudes i don't think that's necessarily was great mm-hmm. either I don't think it was necessarily like that. I mean, I think people got, and I guess this is a generational thing. I think people did get very passionate, but at the end of the day, they were still able to walk and sit down and have a meal together. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a thing, an art that's lost that really you get more from than from not eating, being able to sit down and break, what do they used to say, break bread together. 
even if you disliked each other and, you know, totally disagreed with most of the issues, you could still have respect enough for one another to sit down and break bread together. And that, I think, is is lost in today. And that's not, not a good thing. And I think really the issue with that has been kind of the Internet, the anonymity and stuff. And that's, I think, Probably. a big thing. And it's platform, I think, that we're trying to move away from is what we want to have is we want to have people that, you know, can on the Internet. I mean, <laughs> this is the dream on the Internet to have people basically present their case, um, present their their basically their campaign, what they believe in, what they want to do. And then to have another person who also who maybe has different opinions, and different policy, present their case. And then the people really the true essence of democracy, then have people decide which one they have. And then the one that has the most amount of people, that's the one who wins. I think that's really what we're trying to do with Canada's platform is be able to, you know, we can acknowledge that we are different and we do have issues and, and, you know, the other, other side may be detrimental to ourselves, but we still have to have the, have that discussion. We don't have to like each other. We don't have to kind of go back to that, you know, um, let's all, you know, um, sit down or whatever, but we can at the very least hear each other. That's all we really need to do is be able to both say our piece. I, I do think that the internet has made things, uh, worse in, in, in this situation and where, you know, you never meet the person, you never see the people you accuse or you cancel out, but you can, I guess, almost do things without being seen which before people were hesitant to do. So I think the Canada's platform, if one thing that is good about it is that it can maybe connect people so that they don't have to go through so many sources that yeah. will filter that kind of discussion. This would be just a direct connection from the voter to the candidate and yeah. hopefully take on all that middle stuff. Yeah, and I think that's um, that's kind of, what's so needed because really uh, I was actually having a conversation with um with someone today about it when it really comes down to it people most of the hot button issues you know social issues don't really matter at the local level you know right. when it comes right. down to it when it comes down to it you know um these these big hot topics you know socialism that's not really decided at the city council level um, and, and, and that's something the city council is your day to day stuff. And that's what we want you to focus on is who makes the little decisions that pack your everyday life. We need you to focus on that more. And, and, and those little decisions can be big economic issues that mm -hmm. raise your property taxes that affect your family, whether or not what kind of alimony or who gets your children. Those are the judges, you know, the sheriffs and and. Um, county magistrates there's there's so many local positions that affect everyday decisions in your life you know from what your kids learn to who the teachers are hired and we've said this before the buses they ride you know safety issues you know now we're seeing school boards having such an impact on issues that deal with pandemics you know i don't think any one of us ever thought that was going to become an issue and we didn't even it was one of those things we never even thought of and now we're seeing how school boards can make such a difference, especially in things like, you know, how your children are going to be 
their their critical thinking, how they're being developed. You know, we really have to look at that seriously. And I hope that millennials, as they are, you know, in their late 30s and 40s, are starting their families or have started their families and have to understand it's very important to get involved, even if it's just for one term. You know, you can yeah. make such a difference. And and that's the thing is, is you really don't need to be politics does not need to be your life you don't need to when you, if you run for office it's not a you know a commitment for 30 years and that's right. really i think the problem is is that so few people run so the people that do run are in it for so long um Correct. and and that's the thing is if you run for your city council you know position you can still you know live your life exactly the same it's you know it's um you have your meeting once one night a, a month and then you do you know your maybe weekly meetings or whatever it is depending on your city especially for smaller cities and 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 then you can really have such a huge impact on on your life um and it's just a really good way to kind of to to bring equity and parity to the communities because you know everyone talks about um everyone talks about uh you know like the the racial disparities and stuff like that but with different minorities well what's a better way to 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 fix that than to have every, the everyday person um just run for just run for small office you know if if everyone ran um and everyone you know just took an office to help out then you know we're going to fix those those in, uh, racial and class inequalities it's not just going to be the rich guys right right and i think if you look at these small little towns like whether they be in alabama or say rural arizona or rural um north dakota it, it, the makeup of, of the people in your community can be all different types. You know, it's it's it it it's very interesting when you go to these rural areas and you see that there is kind of that representation when people get involved. And whether you come from a Latino or Anglo community, there's going to be a mix there. It, it really is amazing at the local level how you can see that it's not as racist as we would be led to believe by main street media. You know, it, it, there's some kind of disconnect from the local community to the national news that, you know, white people are in control of everything. And I don't necessarily think that's the truth. It hasn't been the truth for a while. So, you know, but then again, I'm a baby boomer, so I'm thinking of things in a different way. But that's just my experience because I've been to these places. And I've seen in these local communities when I've been involved in, you know, grassroots politics that that there is that diversity. But I believe that with Canada's platform, it's going to be able to take out a lot of the anxiety people have in running because there's just so many things that they get in their head that they're going to have to do. And we're not going to take place of a website. But if you are running for, say, in a small town on the city council, you don't necessarily need a website. You mm -hmm. could use our platform to be able to get you there. And that's the big thing, I think, with um, with especially younger people is is that it's vast. It's it's very intimidating to try and run for an office where, you know, what are the tools you have? So you have to build a website, which is possible. Mm -hmm. But then you also have to go and, like, knock on doors and get, you know, um, stop people at the store and stuff. And, and, and for anyone who's younger – that's very uncomfortable. That's not something, you know, you want to do. That's not something that you feel confident doing, you know, just knocking on random people's doors. You know, we've definitely grown up in a harsher world than previous generations um, and kind of like a little bit of like a harsher, 
you know, uh, political climate and kind of the country in general. So people don't want to, you know, do those traditions. Younger people don't want to do those traditional methods. One thing they do have to do, though, is they most I don't know any other any place that doesn't require you get signatures to run. Right. So you do have to be able to speak to people and to ask them for that basic thing. Right. And hopefully, you know, you know. That when you do that and you get somebody, you can also say, you know, please go on to my site. But, you know, Canada's platform could help those people running by being accessible on the internet. So, it's, I, you know, especially that group, your millennials and stuff, are so astute at technology or the internet and finding things. So I, I feel really excited about Canada's platform because, it, you know, as I've talked to many people from all ages, I have yet to have anyone say that they don't, you know, that they don't think it's a great idea and why hasn't it been done before? And that's the thing is for, for you know, for people, and that's the biggest thing is for if you're someone who's older um, and you're running for office, you know, you can, knocking on doors is important, but for younger people, they don't want really, on average, they're not going to want to listen to you. You knock on their door and say, hey, we want to talk about you know, running for city, uh, I'm running for city council. Do you want to talk about it? Ninety-eight percent are going to say no. I don't. Go away. <laughs> please <laughs> leave. Terrible. Please leave my front door. That's so I don't want uh, your generation. Oh well, my god. Like I said, it's it's been a harsher world, and so that's the thing. <laughs> but now, if they're like, well, who's running for city council? City council, and they, you know, they Google, they looked it up online. That's where they're going to go because. Strangers at the door, as you know, we've been taught, don't talk to strangers. Stranger to stranger danger. And stranger, stranger danger. And so that's the big thing. Um, is, you're probably right about that. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it, but you're probably correct. Yeah. Is um, So it's one of those things of that is uh, um, that is something that I think a lot of people, you know, I myself have worked on, you know, smaller campaigns, just kind of helping out. And I think they didn't realize it's, you know. Same thing with phone calls. It does work 100%, and you should never stop doing it. But when it comes – it's the people that See, really respond well. Calls. <laughs> yeah, the people that respond to phone calls I want to talk to you are, are your 80-year-old grandmas. You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I don't know about that. I'd rather talk to you in person, but I hate talking to the phone. You know, That's when I'm like stranger danger, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we do have our um, – our guest on the line, our fr- my fr- good friend Zoe. Um, Zoe, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Uh, we can hear you. Oh, great. <laughs> All right. Hello, perfect. Zoe. Welcome. Well, Thank here's you. our uh, good to be here. my very first r- rapid question to you, Zoe, because we were just talking about this. Um, when you get calls for people wanting to talk to you about politics, do you like to talk to them or are you someone that's like, oh, nope, I'm good? <laughs> So I'm in the 2% that does like it because I've been on the other end of that so many times. So I feel bad. And like when people call with surveys or something, I'm so happy to do it because when I was, when I was studying political science at U of A, we had to do surveys like that. So I, I'm the weirdo. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Give, if anyone wants, I'll give your, I'll give her cell phone out. You can give her a call. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure Zoe's going to really yeah. appreciate that. And having talking about calling in, um, I want to mention, too, that if anyone would like to call in and ask Zoe a question, they can call toll-free at 888-627-6008 or direct is 323-744-4831. 
And I'd like the audience to also go on to Facebook. We have a Facebook page, Candidates Platform, and please like us, and you will see uh, uh, there will be archives of other shows that we've done, and you can always come back and listen to Zoe if you have to go and answer the door because somebody's knocking and wants to talk to you about politics. So but, there we go. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And actually, our, our guest, Zoe, she, like I said, she's a really good friend of mine, uh, knew through all of college. She's actually, like I said, someone who kind of brought me into politics in college. She was actually the, um, I met her through College Republicans, and then we, she went on to become the president of our local chapter. And then you were the Arizona state chair for the CRNC, right? Were you Western yeah, so chair? I was, I, yeah, I was the state chair, and then I was also the Western regional vice chair. Okay, yeah. So she's kind of a, was back. In, she was the big wig back in the day. Um, <laughs> and, uh, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was kind of um, the big thing is, is that a lot. I know. I mean, a ton of people that really were involved. And over the last couple of years, I mean, I know you've kind of not been quite as involved in politics. And so a big thing I wanted to kind of talk to you about was just how you've seen, you know, kind of growing up in kind of the, the, the older way of doing things, um, kind of to going now with, you know, obviously Twitter and every politician kind of trying to, you know, be, be cool on Twitter and dunk on each other. Like, what is your general feeling of how it's changed from, you know, from kind of how it used to be? Well, I think that the internet and especially social media really disrupted the old way of campaigning. And, that's been, I, I think that that's been a really significant challenge that most campaigns and, you know, most parties, especially local parties, have uh, struggled with, and some of them just haven't even overcome it yet. Um, so, you know, it used to be, I mean, Diego, you know, it used to be that you, uh, if you were a candidate, you'd go to, you know, your local college uh, campus, try to find some poor college kids who would knock doors when it's a hundred <laughs> degrees out just in exchange for a few slices of cheap pizza. And, uh, that doesn't work anymore. Um, because yeah, nobody wants to answer their door. Uh, mm. nobody really wants to do the work, yeah. but also yeah. it's just, it's not an efficient way of reaching people because mm -hmm. everybody's online. So I don't know. It just seems to me like it's completely upended the structure that campaigns should probably be following because you don't need, you know, you don't need people out there canvassing door to door the way that you do, um, the, the way that you need to devote your resources and energy to an online presence. That's really interesting. So. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you in talking to young people, I've come across, you know, where I've been, been told that young people are looking more, not necessarily into running for office, but getting involved in things like, activism, right? Or kind of like this non-political organizations that have causes. And do you feel that that's that people instead like your age, like you know, you are where you're at right now, you're kind of like faded back. Do you see people more thinking that they can change things through belonging to an activist movement like say say this cancel woke movement, right? Or the me movement. It really People see it as changing things, but at the end of the day, you have to run for office to implement the laws that can make that change. But do you see kids, you know, not kids, I shouldn't say young people, your millennials your age, moving more into activism roles? 
Um, I guess it depends on what you, how you specifically define activism, because, you know, when I was in college and even when I was in high school and I was involved with campaigns, um, we would have called that activism. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, today everybody wants to call themselves an activist. And I don't know, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I guess, I'm getting old now, um, we used to say, oh, no, no, that's slacktivism when you retweet <laughs> something or you repost on Instagram and, I don't know, you got some hot take that you just want to put out there about a political issue and uh-huh. you don't actually know anything about it. You're not actually collecting signatures or doing any of the work. Um, so I don't know. I guess I hesitate to even give them the credit of calling it activism. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think your observation, observation is exactly right. Uh, it seems like most young people would rather, um, you know, fight their little, you know, political, moral, what have you battles from their keyboard on their phone instead of, you know, engaging with potential voters face to face. And I guess at some point that does work um, because we do have, you know, these uh, social media, you know, activists, quote, quote unquote, activist um, movements that seem to have. I don't know if they've actually, I don't think they're making much of a policy difference, but they right. certainly do seem to be making a cultural difference. I hope that makes That's sense. True. And, and the one thing I wanted to ask you too, as a young, as a young um, a female, when I used to collect signatures, you know, and um, I did that for a friend of mine who was running for a, a, well, what they call a shadow senator back in D.C., and we had to collect I don't know, I think we collected six or 7,000 signatures, which was really grueling, very difficult to do. The one age group uh, or gender that was almost impossible to get to sign were young women. And I would say young women probably from the age 18 to 23. It was just, I could get almost anybody else to at least stop and maybe sign. But the young young females, I, I just couldn't. And I remember one time, I was so frustrated. I said, do you even know what Title IX is? You know, because most women don't know Title IX, and that made a huge difference in them oh, yeah. being able to go to college. And none of them, they looked at me, and that's how I got them to stop. Well, they'd say, you know, I'd say that, and they'd look at me like, what the heck are you talking about? And then I'd have a fast pitch and say, that Title IX was the reason that you'd be able, you know, you went to college on a scholarship if you were a volleyball player or, you know, you were in fencing or, you know, softball. And then right. I could kind of maybe get them to come and, and say, you know, just signing the signature does not mean you're voting for this person. You're just allowing the person to be on the ballot. But it was like pulling teeth. And why do you think when, you know, women, young women really don't understand how hard it was for them to get where they are today. And it had to do with the Bella Abzugs, the Gloria Steinems, a different type of feminism or feminist movement than I think is is happening now. But why are they so detached and not more involved? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I wish that I, that that I had even thought of that because I guess, you know, just as a function of self-selection, I really, I was, I don't know, my friends in that age group, you know, when we were that age, weren't like that. And uh, that's probably just because I made my friends, you know, in politics. Um, Mm -hmm. But I would, I mean, I guess my, you know, first thing I can think of is, you know, if women aren't wanting to, if young women specifically aren't wanting to stop and chat, it might just be because, I don't know, they don't, 
they don't know what you're going to say. Maybe they're feeling, maybe they've been sort of socialized to be like, oh no, stranger, I don't want to interact. Who knows what this could lead to? An older woman who looks like she's sweating and dying out in heat, they don't want to help. (laughs) But you know, and it's funny because they all had earplugs on. All of them. And that, you know, that might be it then. (laughs) Well, we had, um, we had quite a few. We were actually one of the few clubs that we, I think we were, most of the time we were more women than men. Um, yeah. But I think the biggest problem... Is that problem... why you joined, Diego? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um... no, Diego's exactly right. We we had a, uh, not a strong, but a slight majority of uh, women in our chapter. And uh, it was, a, it was a very fun time because of that, I think. It's honestly because, and, and I hate to say it, but for the most part, and both on the uh, Republican side and the Democrats, the guys that were like super involved in politics were just are just annoying, and women don't want to talk to them because they're just. I mean, and and I'll throw myself into it a little bit. I mean, on average, if you're a guy that's like super into politics, especially young, you're kind of a little full of yourself, and um, and I mean, and then Can't some confirm. of them are just creepy. Some of them are just creepy. I mean, I we mean Zoe have quite a few stories of just some of the strangest people in the world that. Uh, <laughs> Worse than accountants, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's just, the, it's, the worst is the ones who study accounting and then are and, involved and, yeah. in the political parties on campus. <laughs> All right, I can see the, that. Um, yeah, no, that was definitely uh, definitely an, an interesting crowd. But I think that's the big thing is is that there is it's definitely you know I mean politics as a whole is definitely all still kind of primarily men. And I think there's also a little bit of just kind of, you know, that's that's the way it is. It's guy, you know, it's a bunch of guys, you know. And if you're if you're a girl, you know, like, do you really want to deal with all that kind of stuff? And and that's another big thing that I think we kind of want to take out is that there is that, you know, online. The nice thing is, is there is a little bit of removed of that kind of, you know, I guess danger of kind of putting yourself out there in the physical world when you're online. You know, you can run for up you know position because i'd love to have more like you know young city council women you know um mm-hmm. i hate to say like i've never really met a young city councilman they're all you know um o- older women and i think that's a big part of it is that it's you know there's a lot of like we had a, another guest was talking about there's a lot of kind of harassment in the you know uh, mm-hmm. towards yeah. women i mean he's always well aware of it <laughs> and, yeah uh, yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the harassment uh i i imagine it's everywhere but it is certainly true in local politics. I mean, Zoe yeah, could always get a true. date. You know, there was, there was always a string of, uh, of of suitors that wanted to ask her out at any point in time. So, <laughs> yeah, I, well, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> but thanks, Diego. I'll take it as a compliment. Yeah, uh, I do. I do think though that you know that's a I, the point about you know young women being less involved. Um, I think it's really interesting because more women vote um, than, like, yeah, just more women vote than men. Um, And, you know, especially suburban, um, I guess, I don't know, would they be Gen X age, you know, like suburban women in their 40s? That was, you know, a big, yeah, that was a huge block that got Trump elected and then promptly got Trump unelected. Um, (laughs) So, you know, we've got, you know, women are a significant, and I shouldn't say, I don't mean women as a monolithic voting block, because of course we're not. But it is interesting that more women vote. Women tend to be a pretty important demographic 
um, for electoral politics, but yet fewer women run or get involved. And I do think that part of that is because it is just so dang nasty to be involved in politics. And I think it's especially hard as a woman because, I mean, I don't know, at least coming from growing up as a millennial and, you know, having grown up with, like, the Internet and its baby stages and then now the Internet full-blown where it's in our pocket 24-7 on a phone, it got so much worse when that when the Internet became everywhere all the time with everything because you get these creeps who they dislike one thing that you say. I mean... I, just mean, I don't even know if they're real. Like, maybe it's a bot. Who knows? But you get these creeps who just, like, blast you on Twitter or Instagram. And it's like, I don't want to deal with that. And I think a lot of a lot of what Diego said, a lot of young men tend to be a little more arrogant. And um, I think that's just a function of testosterone. Testosterone tends to make you confident and overly arrogant. Um, so I think that women just are different based on that. But then also, you know, young women, we tend to be socialized to be, um, I don't know, we're, we're, const- we're judged for everything we do. And so I think that, you know, when you grow up with that, it's, it's much, it makes, it, it makes people more hesitant to want to put themselves out there. Like, like you were saying, you know, like you said, Diego, it makes you a lot less likely to want to put yourself out there online when all these people that you don't know are just going to come attacking you, you know? Yeah, and and I think another big thing, uh, specifically for you, I mean, is, you know, being kind of in the legal field. uh, I think we talked about it before about how a lot of judges are elected. And I think that is, on average, the thing that people know the least about. I think if you were to, you know, about, like, the judges that they're voting for. Um, Yes, definitely true. Yeah, I mean, you know, I myself, you know, who kind of research this stuff still couldn't tell you a lot of what you know and it, it's it's there, there's a lot of judgments and and with judges they may not necessarily believe personally in what they're you know uh kind of judging on but it's you know it's the law is different than your personal feelings um and so kind of being someone who's in the legal field who definitely you know probably has a much more better understanding of it i guess the thing is is what would you like how do you think that you can bring people to kind of, you know, obviously we would love to have like the judicial system on our service to be able to kind of get out there and kind of put their beliefs more forward. But do you think like it's something that is, would, do you think there's, there could be an interest in his, you know, in, in kind of the judges and getting people more involved in actually like voting for judges like that they like? That's a really good question um, and something that I really haven't thought, uh, put a whole lot of thought into. So let's see. Um, I, so I guess it depends, uh, which is that's how you know I'm a lawyer because I'm going to answer yeah. a question with it depends. <laughs> um, because, it, you know, it, it, just, it, it depends on your jurisdiction. It depends on your state. And so in particular, Arizona, uh, we primarily use what's called a merit-based um, selection process for judges. And most states, I believe, use this. So what? So most of our judges are not elected. Most of our judges, uh, there's a panel. They're, 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 I think they call it a panel. Maybe it's a board, committee, something. There's this group that's appointed by the governor, uh, and they go through. They, they solicit applications, and a whole bunch of people apply. They comb through the applications, and they pare down the list to a certain number that's a little – uh, more palatable for the governor's office to look at, then the governor chooses from there. 
and then that person gets appointed. And the way it works here is we have judicial retention elections. So they don't actually get elected the first time. The vote is always just yes or no to keep them. Um, that's the majority of, of, judge, of, of judges in Arizona. Then there's the justices of the peace at your county level. Those are the ones who are purely elected. Uh, those are the ones, so those are the ones you see signs for. You will never, and to my knowledge, you will never see a sign for a judicial retention election unless it's somebody trying to get somebody, unless it's you have somebody who's trying to get a judge voted out. Right. So you mean like a recall, right? Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, basically. It's, it's very similar. Um, and to my knowledge, nobody in Arizona has ever been uh, voted down on in, a, in one of those retention elections. So I, guess, so I guess the thing is, when you're talking about the justice of the peace, uh, they don't have to be lawyers. They don't have to be, right. have, have any legal experience. They don't have to have a JD. Um, anybody can run for it, including an 18-year-old, uh, maybe he's 19 years old. He might have been 21. I don't know. Some young guy um, who ran in Pima County, and it was actually it was kind of a whole um, a whole thing about it because he was running to replace his father, who had the same name as him. And so some people think that maybe uh, they were trying to pull a fast one, and people uh. might have thought they were reelecting <laughs> the older man who was a judge for many years. So I guess it just depends. Like I'm not sure how useful that would be outside of the JP. So outside justice of the peace. I'm not sure how useful it would be for retention. Um, but, you know, the other thing, too, is judges get reta- retained in Arizona, at least, at, like, 70 to 80% every single time. Yeah. And well, I would like to ask you that question because, you know, I went – I've usually voted in Cochise County. This time I voted in Maricopa. And there were 47 – I think I'm correct in this – judges that, you know, you, you voted either yes or no. Well, I, of course, voted no for all of them, right? Because I thought, you know, I don't even know who these guys are. There's been no way that I can find anything about them. I don't know how they came down on, you know, their decisions on different, you know, issues that might have gone to court. And, and, And I see that as a real problem because judges have big impact on your life. I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, they can decide, you know, the alimony gets you in the custody of your children. I mean, there's a, just a multitude of things. So how does that work? It, it, you know, I've never seen the results after election of like what judges were kept or what their vote, you know, how many yeses they got or how many noes they got. Where can you go to find that information? You know, I'm not sure where you would go. My first instinct is you might be able to go to like Ballotpedia and see mm-hmm. if they have that. Uh, or I guess your recorder, no, your, yeah, your local recorder's office would probably have that with their official results. Um, but if you're talking about as far as, uh, you know, the judge's record and how they rule, uh, no, you're not going to find that anywhere. Um, if somebody yeah. wanted to put that together, I guess they could comb through all of the orders that a judge um, issues, which would be, uh, I don't know, you could not pay me enough money in the world to do that because that would be <laughs> such a pain. Yes, but, it would be. Uh, I, yeah, I definitely, you know, I... I can I can see your concern about you know wanting to um, know where these judges stand on issues before uh, voting to keep them. You know my dad's the same way. He votes no for all incumbents. That's just on principle. Uh, so he always votes no on all the judges. Um, but, but they still get elected somehow. Yeah. Well, and so I will say you know being um, being a lawyer and having uh, having worked for two judges, 
Um, I, you know, I hesitate to say that we should have any sort of, I, I, I'm not sure how useful it would be for people to really dive into their records anyway, because in my experience, at least working at a couple different courts with several other judges too, they're all pretty dang good at their jobs. They're all pretty qual- like they're all very qualified. They're all really smart people. And it, the vast majority of the, of the decisions that they're making, they're doing the right thing. They're, they're making the right call. And sometimes it sounds like it's unfair. Sometimes it comes across as being, you know, I don't know, an unfair ruling or the judge was too pro this or too pro that. But the thing is, when you look at the legal issues, usually, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say like a percentage, but like seriously, the vast majority of the time, these low-level trial court judges are getting it right. And the higher court ones are getting it right even more often, I think, because they've got, you know, they work in panels, so they have several judges that work on things to make sure that everybody, you know, you get you get more people, uh, you get a better quality control, I guess I should say. Um, so I don't know. I it's guess also, I, I hope that answers that. It probably doesn't, so I'm sorry. It's no, also supposed okay. to be kind of, I mean, I've always understood it as, it's always, you know, supposed to be. I've always been, I was very surprised to find out that could vote at all for them because even just the peace because you know it's always kind of supposed to be one non-political you know it was always like the law and you know your personal political feelings or your personal religious or moral feelings were kind of supposed to be set aside on that um and and so i you know i, I do kind of agree that i think it could be an issue with you know well this you know maybe you know this guy um you know, did, this judge ruled on something, you know, a great one was the Cosby, you know, the Bill Cosby thing, um, where, you know, he, the judge basically ruled that, you know, they let him, they let him off on a technicality. And it's like, you know, is that popular? Is that a politically smart, if there was, if that was something, you know, that, um, where they had to go like back to constituents and say, Hey, you know, we did this, you know, should we then let that kind of be up to the will of the mob? Yeah. Of, but uh, I, I right. have to I have to come in and, and kind of disagree with you both. Um, and maybe that's because I've had a lot of experience with Cochise County, which is probably one of the most corrupt counties in Arizona. Um, and I think of this one judge who was a lawyer, not a very good lawyer, but he ended up winning. Um, and he was, uh, I can't, well, he's a judge for Cochise County. And there was a recall of a mayor in Douglas who basically destroyed the town. And it, more than enough signatures were gathered. And they submitted them. Um, and a ruling came down from, I guess it was the state, that when you have a recall petition, that you needed to have it stapled, not with a paper clip, but with a staple to the petition. Now, this ruling had come down after all the signatures had been already submitted and the recall was to take place. That judge then decided he used that technicality to completely, you know, uh, just get rid of the recall and said it was unconstitutional or whatever they would call it. That, to me, was a really serious issue because if if they had said, okay, this is the new ruling, you have to staple the recall to the petition from now on, that would have been one thing. But that all happened before the ruling came and this judge decided to go backwards and say, okay, well, now that this is the ruling, even though it didn't wasn't standing when this recall took place and this, 
the signatures were verified and the recall was just, you know, supposed to go through, he threw it out. And we understood later that it was one of the, um, a lawyer who was real involved in politics, kind of gave the heads up to this mayor we were trying to recall. And they used this technicality. Probably the judge was not that smart enough to do it, but they brought it to the judge and the judge used it. So I don't know if Cochise County is different from the rest of the state, but it was a really, really, really terrible decision. And a lot of people were trying to focus on making sure the judge couldn't get reelected. And I, you know, like most things that happened about two years ago and, you know, people get busy with their life, but it was a terrible, terrible thing. And I could never understand how this judge could base this decision on something that had happened before the decision. Do you, I mean, I hope I'm speaking clearly. Do you kind of follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, I certainly can't comment. I'm born and raised yeah. in Pima County my whole life, uh, so I got nothing to say about Cochise County. I don't know how <laughs> they do things down there. Yeah. Um, well, it's not I, very good, but it was interesting, you know, because that judge did have a, an incredible impact on that small yeah. community by doing that. Um, yeah, no, I, I think you're right, and if I could just add one quick thing um, about that. You know, there. I mean, certainly judges don't always get it right. They're human. Um, certainly, uh, there could be mistakes made and, you know, other things happen, but, um, I have to say, you know, and I, and, and I, and I mean this with all due respect to all non-lawyers, it's really not meant to be, um, more arrogant than the profession already is. Um, but so many times that I see, I was talking to Diego about this, you know, earlier, um, so many times when I see people comment about, oh, this judge screwed this up, this judge did this wrong, that whatever, all this commentary. And a lot of this comes from just bad reporting and reporting from people who want headlines but don't want to actually understand the legal basis for the decision. So many times when I see this stuff, I go back and I look at the ruling and I'm like, yeah, no, that makes sense. This is not a great outcome. It sucks, but the law is what it is, and it's the judge's job and actually, it's their obligation and their sworn duty to follow the law where it leads, even if it sucks. And if it I, sucks, the, the remedy is to, you know, elect new people to change the law. I, um, I have a, a, a guy I know, a lawyer um, up in Phoenix, who uh, he's been around for probably like 40 years. And he always said that uh, he called them the um, law and order uh, jurors. <laughs> and he said that he could always tell which jurors were like were fans of law and order because they would always oh. ask these questions that weren't like related like lead they were just kind of like what they thought they knew about the law versus what the law actually is. Well, I think I, I will say that having been a political activist, a political organizer and running multiple campaigns and recalls, this guy was wrong. So there <laughs> I am. Law and order, but as somebody who actually you know well, political the, people are the least are the least <laughs> judicial people so it's <laughs> that could be true this is, this is why Damn our it. branches are separate yeah <laughs> there you go all right so let's get back to to millennials and your age i guess you would be considered so the younger uh the because they they've actually when I'm doing some research on millennials, they have the older millennials, which I guess are over 40, and then the younger millennials. And you are part of the younger group, right? Yeah, yeah. I was born so in 93. You're not, so. you're not 40? You're not 40. You're in your late 20s? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. They're seeing actually that that 
part that group, the younger group of the millennials, have become more active. Where the older ones, like say, are 35 to 40, are dealing with, you know, and I think one of the big reasons why they don't run is because it's a sacrifice financially. Because these local positions that are so important, they don't pay very much. You know, it yeah. may be the max, 15000 and it'll give you like a couple hundred if you go to a city council meeting. And I'm wondering, do you think that money, do you think, A, that would help people run if they could like make, oh, I say 40000 as a city council and you could still have, or maybe 20000 and you still have your regular job? Or do you think that money being paid like a full position could lead to corruption? I mean, what do you think would be the way to go? I mean, I think corruption happens no matter what, because humans are just inherently flawed and some are prone to corruption. Um, I, I, my, my gut instinct is to say that adding more money would probably um, attract more unsavory characters who might be prone to that. Um, I wonder if there's been any, I, I wonder if there's been any study on this, if any states yeah. or, um, you know, smaller governments have tried that and, you know, seen if it increases uh, the number of candidates who run or anything like that. So I wonder if there might be some sort of um, like academic uh, literature on it, but I think Sorry, go ahead. Well, well, as you say, certainly I think money could be part of it. Um, Sure. Why would you want to take on an extra gig? um, That's not going to pay a whole lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it though is really just that politics. It's just a nasty business. And I think a lot of people, uh, especially, I, I guess I could see, you know, people who are in their, you know, late 30s to, you know, early 40s, they're probably at that age where they've got kids, where they probably care a lot more about, um, you know, spending time with their kids and enjoying life instead of dealing with the grossness that has become partisan politics. And so you I know what is probably one of the, just, the worst yeah, politics yeah. is school board? It's school board, but let me tell you, when you're raising kids, that's where there's so much frustration in what they're learning in the school system and how the funds are being, you know, appropriated. So it's, it's. I understand how nasty it is because I've been involved in a lot of that, but there is no other way I think you can change it but then it's, to dwell into it. One thing I thought that was interesting was, um, a, a, you know, some some congressmen, um, kind of the new freshmen and sophomore congressmen, uh, I know like AOC and I think Rashida Tlaib, they actually said that they were going to pay a lot of their interns. Um, like I think it was either like a livable wage or it was going to be somewhat decently. They were going to pay them, I think, you know, more than what most get paid. And if you look at their staff, it's still the same kind of people that are on all the other, you know, um, you know, they're not that different than, you know, the ones on Diane Feinstein's staff. It's still, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that's, I think, the big thing is it's not so much about money as much as it's about knowledge and ability to use it. And I think that's the big thing is, is that, you know, I would make a terrible judge or lawyer um, because I don't really understand any of that stuff where Zoe would, you know, is fantastic at it. And that's the big thing is, is that it's the same thing with politics where running for office, where if you don't really know how to get into it, it's daunting. Like it's hard to get into it. It's like we were saying, it's nasty. There's tons of, you know, um, there's tons of fighting. It's super, it's super kind of closed off. Really. You kind of have to, you know, get involved in party stuff and then meet people and everything. And I think that's the big thing, Zoe, I would kind of, my final question to you is 
down the road, obviously, hypothetically, do you think, like, if there was a little bit easier for you, instead of having to, you know, get so involved in, you know, knock on doors and all that kind of stuff and, and do all or that? Or in your Republican or, or whatever party you belong right. to. Would you be, would it be something where you, would you, you have an interest in maybe running again for something? Oh, God, me, heck no. I see how the sausage <laughs> is made. I want no part of it. Um, really? And <laughs> I, yeah, and I, I totally agree with what you said earlier. You know, it is a shame that we, that a lot of millennials, you know, don't want to be part of this because this is the only way to affect change, at least, you know, in a policy way, which is really what matters. Um, so I totally agree with you. That is the only way to do it. That is the, the way that it should be done. Um, it's just, I don't know. I, to me, I guess it's like, okay, this is this, this is this might be painting with a broad brush, and I'm not sure that this really. And um, I, I think this probably affects younger millennials more than it does older. But you know, I would never want to run for office because I've seen what the internet mobs do. <laughs> when people have, when they dig up a tweet from when you're 16 years old. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, and, that's yes. You know, and, and, and it just, it blows my mind that a 16 year old can be, you know, a, rather a tweet from somebody when they were 16 can derail a career, can just ruin a person, you know, that you become a persona non grata because, you know, of these Twitter trolls. But then on the other hand, you got guys like, and I'm sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to name one person. You got Go for people it. Go for it. like you got people like Ralph Northam, who's <laughs> got he, who has like actual pictures of him in medical school as a like grown ass adult. Sorry, I don't know if I can say that, but as a grown <laughs> adult, like he's either wearing the KKK costume or he's in blackface. He won't tell us which one. And so it's like I don't know. You get these older guys that somehow got to skate by all this nonsense, but then you get younger people, and it's because it's online, I guess. And it's just like I don't know. I don't want to open myself or my family up to that. And, and do you think it'd know, be I, that heated? Do you think that's it'd be that heated if you were running in smaller local politics, like say small communities of twenty-two thousand people in a town? Do you think? I mean, I think there might be a difference between Phoenix versus, say, you know, Ajo or or something like that. Or it could be worse. But it it is a shame, and thank God, that there's none of this when I was 16. Because I I might as well just have, like, you know, found another island to go to and where nobody knew me. Because it it is is really awful. I, I can't imagine the stuff that I thought and said and did would be able to follow me anytime, you know, to be able to ruin... Because you change, and that's the horrible thing. Oh, yeah. you know, that is growth, right? Is you change your ideas, you change your beliefs, and you grow. So this whole mm-hmm. thing where you what you say at sixteen is going to affect you at thirty-two is really. I don't think people are understanding that it's limiting people from ever being able to become a better person. Yeah. Yes, well, I I think you're completely right about that, and. Um, I don't know. It kind of sends a message to me, too, of like, hey, if I'm going to be tied to whatever I said when I was 16, I'm not even going to try then because I, I'm, I'm not so going to be able sad. to survive that. I, and so I want to cry because kinda, you're such an intelligent young lady. And to hear that be the reason, I hope most I hope people are listening to this out in the audience. This is how bad it's gotten that these things that can be said, you know, were said or you tweeted when you were 16, 17, 18 or even starting college. Could could yeah. derail your your future is going to be real detriment to our democracy. That's just yeah. as, as I, plain as night. Yep, day. I, I 
I, I think you exactly hit the nail on the head. It is going to be a detriment to, to the way that to, to our democracy, because the thing is, too, and I mean, my friends and I have joked about this. We're all like, all of us used to be politically involved. None of us want any part of it anymore, except for, I think, one person. But anyway, the thing is, is, you know, we, we all joke about this. We're like, if this is the if this is the world we live in, where we're going to be stuck with whatever, you know, we were with whatever we said when we were young, then who's going to be left who's qualified to run? Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. Because everyone said yeah. something. So, so maybe... I don't know. Maybe at some point we've got to just collectively like grant some level of amnesty. Like, all right, we're just going to forgive anything <laughs> under the age amnesty. of like 25. That's there when our brain is fully developed, I think, right? 25? I yes. think so. Well, Men's is, is, well. is 32, but okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> I wanted to, um, Zoe, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, it's been really, really fun, and it's always fun talking to you. I mean, it really is. It's, it's just. It's just it's like kind of back in 2012 when we first met. I mean, it's it's kind of oh, you know, things the good old changed, days. But, the good old days, but <laughs> um, I mean, it's it, it was a really fun time. I really enjoyed it. I think our you know listeners got kind of could get a new experience because I'm sure they get tired of our our old uh, beliefs. So <laughs> someone you, new and fresh. Are you someone referring new and fresh. to me? Could you be referring to me? <laughs> No, but well, thank, thank you, thank you so. for having me. It's I, I've, I've quite enjoyed it too, as I always enjoy your company, Diego. Um, so you know, thank thank you for having me. I hope that this is useful for some listeners, and I hope it helps you guys uh, really get your platform out there because I think that this would be a real benefit to our to our society. Thank oh, you so much. Thanks. Yeah, but well, yeah. I hope everyone else has a fantastic rest of their Saturday night. Um, you know, stay, stay cool out there. We've definitely had some heat waves across the West. And so um, have the re- good rest of the month. We will be back on August 7th. Yes. So, Remember, go to our Facebook page, Instagram, link it to find out and to hear off some of our old shows. And Zoe, you were a delight. And I have complete hope that in the next 10 years, things will change and you'll be, you'll be running again. <laughs> All right, everyone, have a great night. For now it's fine Waste of our time Out where stars forget to shine Cityscapes escape